most of the people out there that are doing drugs and drinking and doing things they shouldn't do don't want to be doing there but they don't have stock they don't have daily practices they don't have faith they don't have these values that you can go to and say now hold on a second is this what a grateful person does You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. This is a space where we come together each and every week to chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to Purpose Chasers all over the world who have leaned into this message for, what, four and a half years now. I can't believe how far we've come and how much we've done. Listen. And today you're in for another amazing episode. As you know, we define ourselves by the six pillars of wealth around here. And this season, we're talking a lot about the fit pillar and also the people pillar. If you have no idea what I'm talking about and you want to get more familiar with the six pillars of wealth, listen, click the link somewhere in the show notes around this episode. You're going to go to a free audio training called The Truth About Wealth, where you can really lean into what these six pillars are and even take an assessment to figure out where you need to start. Now, today we have another amazing episode, David Meltzer a serial entrepreneur, just all around good guy out there adding value left and right in the marketplace is here to share his story. And this is definitely a story that you're going to want to lean into because we're talking about someone who lost a hundred million dollars and had to rebuild their lives. And if they don't exemplify redefining wealth, I don't know who does. I mean, I think he actually does it better than me. Can he do it better than me? I don't know. Anyway, before we get into this week's episode, let's get into the affirmation of the week. You know, you got to speak positivity into your life, into your day. You got to affirm positivity. You got to affirm abundance. You gotta affirm yourself to wealth. This week's affirmation is, I fulfill my commitments to myself and others. Before I pursue anything, I take stock in who I am and what truly matters to me. Because when I make a commitment, I do what I say I'm going to do. People rely on me because I am capable, dependable, and ready to produce results. I am honored that I can trust myself and that others trust me with the things that are important to them as well. I take pride in being able to support and assist others from a place of abundant servanthood and not from lack or people pleasing. I understand that when I help others, I am helping myself grow exponentially, both directly and indirectly. Declare today, I fulfill my commitments to myself and then others. David Meltzer is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. Recognized by Variety Magazine as their Sports Humanitarian of the Year and awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, David is also the executive producer of the Bloomberg and Amazon Prime television series, 
two-minute drill and office hours. His life's mission is to empower over 1 billion people, yes, with a B, to be happy. And this simple yet powerful mission has led him on an incredible journey to provide one thing, value. Without further ado, here's my conversation with David Meltzer. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, David. I love the way you bring it, Patrice. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you here. I know not too long ago, we were able to do uh, an IG interview on your page, and I had the honor of watching you just rock the stage at Thrive. A couple years ago, we were both speaking at that event, and that's when I really first was introduced to you, David, and you left such an impression, such an impression. Um, so I'm really, really honored to have you here. Um, the thing that stuck out to me most when I heard you speak at Thrive is that I felt like we had similar stories about losing a lot <laughs> at different points. Now you lost, I, if I remember correctly, over a hundred million dollars. I didn't have a hundred million yet, <laughs> David, so I didn't lose that much. Doesn't matter. But loss is loss, right? Loss is loss, especially when you've uh, achieved some level of success and to see so much of it just go away, no matter what it is, it it's it could be traumatic, right? In a lot of ways. Um, you had three kids under 10 at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And my uh, wife was pregnant. <laughs> and your wife was pregnant. Okay, take us back to that time. How did you get to, to that type of loss? What was going on in your life? You know, really, it was two years before that I came to the acknowledgement of what I was doing. Uh, you know, I was running the most notable sports agency in the world. So not only was I a multimillionaire, but what most people don't know, I also had access to anything. So it wasn't, I had access to things that money can't buy, you know, sidelines of the Super Bowls and, and the cabins at the Masters and all types of exclusive access. And um, I think my wife, who was the third red flag of where I was at two years before I lost everything in 2006, you know, basically told me she wasn't happy. Uh, although I had everything, I could buy anything, I had taken for granted not only what other people were wishing for, but I had taken for granted what I was wishing for. And my wife told me to take stock in who I was, what I wanted to become. She said something to me that first night when I came home from lying to her at 530 in the morning, I went to the Grammy Awards with a rapper named Little John. And she told me that night, she said, um, what would your mother think? right? What would your mother think of you? And I still get choked up because it's hard to know that I had lost my way, that I had everything and I took it for granted. Um, so when two years later, I lost everything, the hardest part uh, for me was convincing everybody else that it's going to be okay. And I was so worried about everyone else worried about me because I wasn't. I had shifted the paradigm of faith in my life. You know, somebody told me the way you feel about your children, David, the way you feel, what you would do for your children, what you would give for your, you know how ignorant you are, you know, you, you, you're humble, but you know how much you're missing and yet you would do everything for your children. Imagine there's an all powerful, omniscient, all knowing source that feels the same way about you. And I live in that. And I, utilize my faith when pain, struggles, setbacks, failures, mistakes occur, that I'm being propelled. The analogy I use is, I remember when I was three and, I, and 
there was a fire and man, did that fire look enticing to me. And I went to go reach over and put my hand in that fire because it seemed like the thing to do. It seemed like the right place to be at the right time. It seemed at three, that was gonna be a really great experience. And that's what I wanted so bad to put my hand in that fire. And as I reached out to put my hand in the fire, my mom screamed at me, never. My mom's a second grade teacher. She treats everyone still today. It drives me nuts. It sounds like she's talking to a second. Hello, honey. You know, <laughs> that's how she talks to everyone. It's so, but she screamed at me and I started to cry. It was painful. That's what the all knowing, all powerful, all, all source of infinity does to you. It gives you pain, setbacks, failures and mistakes to tell you, don't put your hand in the fire. You may think that that is not going to hurt you. You may think that's the job you want, the wife you want, the life you want. You may think that's all that you want, but it's fire. And mm -hmm. I know I'm omniscient. I'm going to slap your hand or yell at you uh, to get you to propel into a better place, a better position. And that's where my mindset was when I lost everything. But I will tell you, uh, Patrice, two of the harder things was one to tell Lee Steinberg that I went bankrupt because the reason he hired me was to be an icon to all the huge athletes that I would take care and make them financially successful like I was. I was Midas in his mind. And here, now I lost all credibility to run the sports agency because I was an economic failure. I was actually what most parents were most worried about was their kids being entitled, not doing what they're supposed to do and losing hundreds of millions of dollars. But worse, I had to go tell my mom. Mm -hmm. And Although I had the right mindset, I had taken stock in my gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and effective communication. I had to go tell her not only that I lost everything, but I lost her house. I forgot to take it out of my name. So she had to move. Ooh. Yeah, and it was funny because I mentioned to you the hardest part was I was worried about everybody else. And I was worried how weak my wife would be. I was worried how weak my mom would be. And what I realized through and the greatest lesson I gained was that I had enabled my wife and my, and my mom, the two most powerful women in my life that didn't need me. They, my mom didn't need me. Not when she raised six kids on her own. You know, all of us passionate, profitable and purposeful people. Six kids, five went to the Ivy League, graduated summa cum laude, working two jobs packing my dinner in a paper bag and teaching us to do the right thing and to be kind and to live life above the line. And I was worried about her. Mm. I was worried about her. And I see so many people put that into the context. They're so worried about what other people think. They're so, that they forget that you give meaning to everything you see. And the biggest thing that I learned was how blessed I am. I wasn't gonna take for granted what other people and myself were wishing for. I was blessed to be around two strong women who had helped guide me to slap my hand, to yell at me, to tell me I got a better place to be, a better position to be in. And those two uh, relationships still to this day, I will never discount the power of my wife or my mom and how much influence and impact they have on me. And they are my trusted advisors. And uh, that was the best lesson. I wasn't worried. I was more worried about everyone else when I should have been focusing in on making the money back like I did in the right way by being abundant. Mm. This is so good. Oh my gosh. You said so many things. So I'm going to try to take it back just a step. When you said your wife said, take stock in who you are. Did you know in that moment what that even meant? <laughs> I hated her. 
I, I blamed her when she said that. I'm like, what the F are you talking about? You take stock in what we have. Look around you. Mm. Who do you think made this happen? I have a Ferrari, a Porsche. We have a nanny in that other room. This home, it didn't just build itself. I made this happen. And how dare you talk to me that way? And I will tell you that I went to bed thinking that it was okay that my wife wanted to leave. It was okay. And I was going to take her happiness. I was going to take her money. And I, but for a present my father gave me, I don't know where I would be because I sat on the end of my bed in the morning, hating my father, hating my wife, hating, you know, miserable and empty life, even though I had everything I ever dreamed of. And all of a sudden, when I'm sitting there thinking about who should I call to get divorced, you know, all the dumb things I was thinking, I looked over into my closet and there was a jacket that my father gave me on my 30th birthday. The last time I told my father, I hated him. The last time I called my father's name and told him he didn't understand because he gave me a jacket with no pockets. And I told him to stop punishing me. Who does he think he is going to teach me a lesson? Money doesn't buy love or happiness. Hang some jacket in my closet with no pockets to teach me. You can't take anything with you when you're gone. You can't be the richest man in the cemetery. I told my dad to F off when I was 30 years old. You missed my birthday 20 years ago. You haven't been in my life. How dare you even talk to me? You're a liar, cheater, overseller, back-end seller, manipulator. I hate you. Same kind of stuff I told my wife the night before. But when I saw that jacket, I broke down. Because I looked at that jacket. I still get choked up because I looked at it and said to myself, I don't hate them. I hate myself. And that's when I understood what my wife meant to take stock in who I was, to take, stop hating yourself, take stock in who you are and what you want to become, the same person that made you who you were from nothing, but nothing but imagination, possibilities, probabilities, the law of attraction, the law of Goya and the law of gravity all combined to put me into this dream state that other people wish to be, wish to be where I was, including me, and I'd taken it all for granted. And so I took stock and all the lessons my mom taught me, mm-hmm. gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration, effective communication, not with everyone else, but with the most powerful source of light, love, and lessons that always is connected to me. That thing that cares as much about me that I cared about my children, except for it's all-knowing and all-powerful, unlike myself, a humbly, humble, radically humble person, ignorantly humble, but yet that's what drove me. And I was prepared two years later to lose everything. Um, and, you know, it, it, it scared more people that I was so ready <laughs> than, it did, than it did when I was messing up. Every other month, I attend a Super Friends brunch where we talk about everything from purpose to pursuing new dreams and even menopause. Yep, you heard me, menopause, because if you're over 40 and your girlfriends don't keep it real, I don't know what to tell you. But we have these important conversations because how can we redefine wealth if we're not keeping up with our hormonal health? Now, we discovered Happy Mammoth. It's the company that created Hormone Harmony, and it's dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for us. They make no compromise when it comes to quality. 
Hormone Harmony contains herbal extracts called aptogens that help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally. And any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take Hormone Harmony. It's perfect for hot flashes, night sweats, menopause-related brain fog, sleeplessness, occasional bloating and gas. You get the picture. Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. And for a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com by using the code RW at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RW for 15% off. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It it sounds like from the time you had that kind of confrontation really with your wife until the point that you lost everything, you were, we would say on a journey of redefining wealth. So, so as you were going through those few years, you were no longer attaching your personal wealth with just money in the bank. Is that right? You started to look at it from different angles. I define myself by my bank account. I, I would look at my bank account every day. And if it went up, man, I was proud of myself. And if it was going down, I'd be so disappointed in myself. I defined myself by my bank account. And I found everything that I wanted outside of me to define me. I was always focusing on more. I always wanted you know, people to like me. I, I would buy things I don't need to make myself happy. I'd buy things to impress people. I would even buy things to impress people I didn't like. Uh, you know, I was so insecure. I wanted to find happiness outside of me. And what I learned, and, and I do want to say one thing, because I, you know, have done many interviews, as you know, I, I want to reiterate that I didn't just change overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I took stock in who I was that day, but it, it still is, right? I'm practicing. I'm practicing gratitude. I'm practicing forgiveness. I'm practicing accountability. I'm practicing effectively communicating with the greatest source of light, love, and lessons. I'm practicing. I'm getting a lot better. It's been 16 years or so, right? I'm getting well-practiced at it. But it took me two years. You know, there was a lot of arguments with my wife, her reminding me, recollecting me, remembering me to say, that's not where you go. Look, I'll tell you, my wife still reminds me, right? I'm going on another, another trip. You know, and she'll say, what are you going to do in this situation? Right. Reminding me the humble life. You happy with your life? All right. Let's do the right things when you're on the road, because there's a lot of people out there that want you to do the wrong things. You'll get a lot of offers, a lot of things that you don't want to do. You know, when you're going from New York to Philly to Miami and home, you remember the integrity of your home and the integrity of self. This, you know, and it's not that my wife's, you know, my mom. It's that she wants to bring the best out of me, you know, and she is, uh, you know, truly my soulmate and she wants me to reach my potential and she doesn't want anything to interfere with it. You know, it's so true when you are successful and you have access to, to any and everything that you want, what you attract are a lot of yes people and right people who will just go along with whatever you say or whatever you want, whether it's in alignment with 
who you portray yourself to be publicly or not. They just go along with it. And to have, um, you know, your wife be so bold, a lot of women don't feel comfortable speaking up and saying, I don't care if you pay these damn bills, if you built this house, who pays for the nanny? I said what I said, David, <laughs> do the yeah. right thing, right? Yeah, and still today, the same thing, right? So Yeah, yeah. So how did you start to shift those people, the people who were around you who may have been enabling you, you may have been enabling your mother and your wife, but I'm sure you had a lot of enablers in your life, personally and professionally. How did you start to manage those relationships so that you could, you know, continue on this path and this evolution? Yeah, I instituted what I call the great chain of feeding. I started to categorize people uh, and started to realize I do this in my own coaching and consulting, whether it's business or personal. I found that 80% of people's time, including mine, are spent on people or things that bleed us. It's just the natural uh, course of human nature and gravity uh, that we're going to spend time, resource, and money on that which bleeds us. And so I created a chain of a spectrum to determine what's feeding me and what's bleeding me. And that can be financially, emotionally, it could, whatever way it is. And I fire people, I fire clients that bleed me. Now, if you don't bleed me, but you don't feed me, I just allow you in varying degrees to fall away in my life. And it's so easy with all the noise and all the people in my life and other people's life to allow people to fall away. They don't even notice you stop calling, right? They don't even notice you said no. Uh, but there is a book called Don't, uh, don't take yes for an answer. That was a big part of my problem because I was a millionaire at 24 right out of law school. I had everything I wanted. Three years later, we sold the company I worked for for $3.4 billion in 1995 with a B. I had access and money. And people just told me, just like an athlete, just like a celebrity, they told me yes. And I will tell you that I fired. And, and people want to know how you fire someone from your life. I'll tell you how you do it. You go up to them and you say, Patrice, I love you but I don't like who I am when I'm around you. I don't feel good. And I said, I, I can't be around you. This has nothing to do with you. I pray for your happiness and I love you, but I don't love myself. And therefore I'm gonna re remove myself from this relationship because I got to find myself and I got to feel good. And I just want you to know, thank you. And, and I left and I had to fire some childhood friends, some, so, some people that were bleeding me with good intentions and I am accountable. You know, I am accountable. Nobody forced me into the clubs. Nobody forced me to drink and to do other things that I didn't want to do. Nobody forced me, but I will tell you, you know, I, I told my wife this, I said, there were some days I sneak off and I go to a club in the middle of the day doing things I shouldn't be doing. And I remember sitting there in misery, like outside of my own head, just going, what are you doing? I, I couldn't even have a good time. I, I, I was such a pleaser and I wanted approval and I was so lost and empty. And, I, and I, the reason it's so important to me is I know most of the people out there that are doing drugs and drinking and doing things they shouldn't do, don't want to be doing there. But they don't have stock. They don't have daily practices. They don't have faith. They don't have these values that you can go to and say, now, hold on a second. Is this what a grateful person does, right? Is this what an accountable person does? Is this what an inspired person does? You know what you can say is no. 
I don't want to go. No, I don't. I, I had to start, believe it or not, by separating myself from the actual enticement. So I'd have to add an extra layer. It wasn't that I trusted myself today. No, I would have to say no to a situation before I would get into a situation where I could say no. I didn't, I didn't want to remove because I was so weak. I was so weak. I didn't have stock in who I was. So I was so weak. I, I would say, oh, no, I, I'm not going to go golfing. Why? Because I knew when I went golfing, after we we're done golfing, the guys want to go out and party. And I wanted to be a step removed. If I didn't go golfing, I wouldn't have to say no. So I removed myself from a layer. And that's how I started. Mm. What did you occupy yourself with in the meantime? That's awesome. So I started to be more interested than interesting. I have a mathematical equation of faith and luck. I started to pay attention to and give intention to what I think, say, do, and believe, understanding my own personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addiction to what I wanted. So what I started paying attention to and started occupying myself with was what I want personally, experientially, giving-wise, and receiving-wise. And I'll tell you what, when I didn't know what to do, when I was lost and empty, I knew and I had learned through being more interested than interesting, that my thoughts could not overcome my feelings. That I could sit there all day long going, don't worry, don't beat yourself up, let it go, it's okay. All day long I could sit there and I never felt better, but I learned one super secret. I went and did good deeds. So when I was lost, when I was sad, anxious, depressed, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful, separate, inferior, and superior, all of those triggers of my ego that still exist today, our only difference is I spend minutes and moments in those feelings, not days, weeks, months, and years. I learned to go do a good deed. Even if there wasn't something around me, I'd go out and pick up trash. I'd go up and walk, walk around and wave to everybody. I'd help somebody across the street. And guess what? The minute that I reach my truth, my potential of being true and being good, man, I felt better. All of the anxiety, fear, frustration, anger, offense, guilt, resentment, all of it went away immediately. So I learned as a practice to find out what I wanted, who I can help, who can help me, and how I was going to get it done, which helped me prioritize what I was going to do now. And then I ended up accelerating, growing, and exponentially becoming more and more whole. And where I exist today, not only do I feel at peace, but I'm able to share with others, to empower others, to empower others. I went from celebrity to celebrant. I am truly just here to elevate people, to elevate themselves. So good, David. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, if you're brand new to the Redefining Wealth podcast, maybe you've been thinking to yourself, well, what are the six pillars? What's the actual breakdown and what does that all entail? Well, I broke it all down for you in a free audio training called The Truth About Wealth. I want you to go check it out at patricewashington.com forward slash start here. The Truth About Wealth is gonna walk you through what each one of the six pillars are, but it's also gonna help you assess where you are in your journey so that as you continue to listen to the podcast and lean in a little bit more to this idea of becoming a purpose chaser, you know exactly where you need to start. So head to patricewashington.com forward slash start here and get your free audio training, The Truth About Wealth, today.
David, before the break, you were saying you went from being celebrated to celebrant. I just, I just love that. And I love how you infuse faith into what you talk about. I heard you say, I believe on Instagram, that you believe faith is a currency blended with the currency of money. I need you to break that concept down. Yeah, no, one, of my, one of my favorites, right? I'm thinking about writing a book called Reconciliation uh, that will reconcile two different uh, currencies, two different time frames. One, the one that we live at is the speed of light. Uh, that's what our clock is based off. Of. This is the man-made construct of time that exists here on earth. Uh, and in the construct of time, the 24 hours of activity that you're given, that I'm given, that we're all given, within that construct, there's a currency, there's an object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want with that 24 hours. And the primary currency of the man-made construct of time is money. Money is an object of energy. We put it into the flow to get what we want only in the man-made construct of time in the 24-hour days that we're given, no matter what country you're in. Now, there's another time frame. It's called the time of thought. It moves much faster than the 186,000 miles per second that the speed of light moves, the time that it takes a particle of light to get from the sun to the earth. That's how we determine our clock. Here, we now have something moves much faster, the speed of thought. See, the thought that vibrates the fastest or the frequency that vibrates the fastest is the truth. And so the truth is love and it's light. And that truth is where faith exists. And in order to get to shop for what we want for the right reasons, on earth we use money, but in the higher realm of thought, the one which we can travel a million years ago, you and I can shut our eyes and via the speed of thought, we can both share and go a million years ago and live with the dinosaurs, or we can go a million years in the future and live on Mars. We, physically in the, in the speed of time, we can't do that in the speed of light, but in the speed of thought we can. What is the currency in the, the higher realm, the speed of thought, the speed of truth, the speed of potential? It's faith. Faith is the currency. It's an object of energy faith that I put into the flow to get what I want. How? Because when setbacks, failures, mistakes, and pain occurs in the speed of time, the speed of light, faith now takes me as a currency to allow me to shop for something better, better position, better place. Faith is what gets me there because pain doesn't become a stop sign. It doesn't become a punishment. It becomes a propeller. Faith itself allows me to move from this lesson to something greater, something bigger, someday to reach infinity and limitlessness, someday to live within, even for an instant of a second, the truth. But until then, faith allows me as a currency to shop for or to enjoy the consistent, everyday, persistent, without quit, pursuit of my potential, my truth that exists only in one realm in the speed of thought, in the speed of truth. That's so good. I feel like everything that you said, I would sum up as hope. Like yeah. the fact that you, what you can put your thoughts on, despite what you're currently experiencing, is this hope or faith in this idea that this is temporal. I'm not going to be here always. This, I'm not a failure. Uh, my life isn't over. Like all the things that I'm sure you and I both thought about when we were in these difficult seasons, um, I really do believe that faith was the currency that really allowed me to rebuild my life. 
that came first. And I think sometimes we believe that chasing the money is the thing that comes first. Like if I just get back to that, but you don't really even, I don't know about you, but during that time, that season for me, I felt like without the faith that there was something on the other side, that there was a bigger lesson, that there's something that I'm supposed to learn from this, I wouldn't have even done the things that I knew to do to create the money again. Yeah, of course not. And let me tell you three laws that apply. This changed my life and it created a new perspective for me. See, I always tried to go get rich. I always tried to go get healthy. I, I tried to get wealthy. I tried to find my worthiness. And what I realized is number one, just take a second and realize there's a law of gravity. And the law of gravity takes into account both of the currencies. The law of gravity simply says, the earth itself is spinning, hurling, and it's rotating around at an enormous amount of speed and inertia and mass. But guess what? I'm standing here at the right place at the perfect time. I am half healthy. I am happy. I am wealthy. I am worthy. What am I doing to interfere with it? See, now once I know the law of gravity that says I'm at the right place at the perfect time, I am, then I can institute the law of Goya, G-O-Y-A, get off my ass and figure out what am I doing to interfere with it? Clear away through the currencies, clear away all the triggers of the ego, clear away all that's bleeding me, all that's interfering with me and the greatest source of infinity, of limitlessness, of all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing being that literally cares about me probably more than I care about my own children. Unbelievable if I can just use all the inertia of must being what I can be to clear that away. Then if I can utilize that energy to clear it away, I've expanded my vessel. Why? So I can allow more to come. And when I allow more to come through appreciation, forgiveness, and accountability. See, when we appreciate something, if I have this much and then I now have and appreciate it, it expands to this much. It's more. Now, how do we acknowledge what we have? How do we not take for granted what other people are, including ourselves, are wishing for? We give it away. So when I've received and appreciated, the next step is called acknowledgement. When we give away what we have, it's the only way we acquire the knowledge. Acquire the knowledge. Acknowledge what we have. Now, but what remains after we give everything away? A bigger vessel. Now, once again, I remind myself I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm happy, healthy, wealthy, worthy, and, you know, uh, happy, wealthy, happy, worthy, wealthy, all those. Now what do I do? Appreciate it more, expand, give it away. This is the continual cycle of faith. This is how you don't feel as if money even has a factor in what we have because we live in a world of more than enough. Not like the old world, being a victim, everything happens to you, or buying stuff you don't need to impress people you don't like for you. You now live through you for everyone else as a celebrant, as an elevate person, as an empower. Uh, you can do all of this and live in the world of more than enough. David, I love that you talked about this because a lot of times I think that people feel like giving takes away from them. And what you just described is how much more abundant you become when you are in giving. But I know that there's some people listening who are like, I give, I give so much, right? And sometimes to their own detriment, you talk about and connected to goodness, I believe, you talked about developing what you call the puppy dog syndrome. Yeah. 
Can you talk about uh, maybe sometimes when we give a little over and above or just we might, is, is there such thing as giving too much? Of course. And, and what happens is it's more in the realm too of receiving, right? We got to know that giving and receiving are one. That's the acknowledgement. But we also have to know you can't give what you don't have. And when you start giving what you don't have, you put yourself into a disadvantage. Uh, you dissolve and dissipate your power. See, if we give what we have, there's room for more. But when we give more than we have, now we dissipate and dissolve our power. We don't have and can't take care of ourselves. Therefore, we can't take care of others. And so I had to have a great reconciliation about receiving because I had no problem giving. I had no problem giving more than I had. But I had a problem receiving because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel happy. I didn't understand humility comes from asking for help. I wasn't accessing all the power that I had because I was always seeing how I could be of service and value to others, never asking how they could be of service or value to me. I wasn't replenishing. I wasn't overflowing. See, it's so much easier to give what we have when we're overflowing than when we're on empty. And then you end up, when you're on empty, giving more than you have, which puts you at a detriment, dissolves and dissipates your power. And so I try to teach people how to receive with all good intention of giving it all away, but not giving more than you have. Mm, that's so good. And I know your big thing is about giving value. You do so much. I see you giving value on Instagram, on YouTube. <laughs> like You are always um, giving. How do you know when it's time to take a step back and allow yourself to be replenished or rejuvenated? Or is it just a part of your daily process where you're always just having your cup filled up as well? Yeah, you nailed it. I'm into daily practices. I believe in the conscious continuum. So I vacation every day. I spend and have non-negotiables, right? My tomorrow starts today. I have an unwinding routine, which is a little peculiar to most, but I believe that my tomorrow starts today. So I unwind at 9 p.m., no negative energy, no negative thoughts, no alcohol, no drugs, no caffeine. I'm putting my mind, my body, and my soul in a position to not only recover, but also to receive because I believe that I clear the interference most when I'm sleeping. And then I use when I wake up at 4 a.m. meditation to transcend, transcode and transform the higher power thinking, the thoughtfulness into my daily activities. And I use daily practices every day to take inventory of what I want personally, experientially giving and receiving, who can help me and who I can help. How am I gonna get it done by utilizing the mathematical equation of faith paying attention to, giving intention to the coincidences that I want by utilizing a lens of productivity, how much value can I provide, which you see all over, but also accessibility. How accessible am I to others and how am I accessing what I want? And then finally, the most important lens, gratitude. See, gratitude is the discipline, the muscle. It's the ability that I have to seek the light, the love, and the lessons, to find the best in everyone, to bring it out and share it with everyone, to utilize knowing what, who, and how to get it done. That allows me then to take action because it's easy for me to know my now. I can prioritize because I know what's important to me. I know urgency is a subset of that importance, but I know through the what, the who, and the how, what's important to me, giving me my now, keeping me present, then instead of searching for my why, searching for my happiness, searching for my health, searching for my wealth, searching for my worthiness, 
I apply my why. See, I'm not searching for my why. I'm applying my why to the what, the who, the how, and the now, which just accelerates and gives me exponential success, efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success in what I want and what I can give because I receive more. And the more I receive, the more I can give. And it continues to flow in a daily cycle, giving myself, yes, a daily routine, but also an adaptable routine, knowing that if you want to make God laugh at you, come up with a well-developed plan or routine. He'll laugh at you every day. So you have to counteract that with the adaptable routine that says, here's my non-negotiables, Lord. Here they are. Health, minimum of an hour a day on my health. Family, minimum amount of time with each of the most important people in my family. And of course, a minimum amount of time studying the mathematical equation of faith, paying attention to, giving attention to, usually through my calendar, the coincidences I want with activity I planned, I don't have planned, my sleep, activity I get paid for, activity I don't get paid for. I don't believe in work. I believe in activity I get paid for, activity I don't get paid for. Work seems like something hard to me. Activity I get paid for seems like fun. Activity I don't get paid for seems like fun as well. Oh, I love that. I love that activity I get paid for and don't get paid for. That is really good. Um, and I was, um, you answered it. I was getting there. Like, so what does that mean for the calendar? But what we say here at Redefining Wealth is, you know, that we do, we make time for the things that we say actually matter. And so often people will say, oh, my faith really matters. My family really matters. But like you said, we haven't made that a non-negotiable. Like it, it's, it's kind of like we build our life around whatever work we have not activities i get paid for and then if we can squeeze in faith or family or meditation or prayer or any of those other things then oh maybe it'll happen but you're saying those things happen and then the other activities they find their way <laughs> into yeah. the into the weekly calendar it's it's interesting because i had to shift that paradigm in my life to take care of myself first to have these non-negotiables and at first, I have to admit, I was a little fearful that I wouldn't have time for the activity I got paid for. Uh, but just last night, for example, I wanted to be with my 11-year-old son to watch the, his favorite football team, Los Angeles Chargers, on Monday Night Football. And I yet had a very important activity to get paid for, and I made it a non-negotiable. I told the person, hey, more than happy to meet, but I have a hard stop at this time. And I will tell you that somehow... I got done all the activity I needed to to get paid, but also had undivided present attention to the most important individuals in my life and making sure that I prioritize that non-negotiable. My first non-negotiable is health. When you're healthy, you get a million wishes a day. When you're not, you only get one wish. So I, a few years ago, when I made back everything, I you know, credit my wife so much and I wanted to thank her. So I said, sweetheart, I wanna do anything that you want, what, what can I do for you? It's amazing the life that I have and the life that we share, but I, I, I wanna say thank you, what can I do for you? And she said, take care of yourself. I said, what? She said, take care of yourself. She said, you're always taking care of everybody else and you got to take care of yourself because sooner or later, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not gonna be able to take care of everyone else. So please, for me, if you want to take care of me, you want to give me a gift, then take care of yourself because you're anointed and you can give so much. But if you don't start taking care of yourself, I promise you, you won't take care of anything. So I made my health a non-negotiable, then my family, then my wealth. 
And this, it seems a lot easier somehow. I always seem to squeeze in the activity to make me wealthy, but it wasn't always so easy to squeeze in my health or my family time. And uh, that's why they have to be priorities and non-negotiables. Oh my gosh, I love that. And, and I love your wife right now so much. I literally had that conversation with my husband about six months ago. I had that conversation and, and he said something similar. It was around his birthday actually. And he said something similar and that was my answer. I said, the best thing you can do for me is take care of you, is like prioritize your fit pillar. No, I'm, I'll get to the gym if I get there. Like I'll go to the doctor, you know, I'll finally put it on the calendar. Like I really need you to prioritize your health because at the end of the day, everyone that you're working with, people you're working for, they'll replace you. But Reagan and I will not get another you. My daughter and I, you're you, you you're all we have, right? So yeah. I need you to make yourself a priority and make your health a priority. And I think for him, that was a wake up call as well. Yeah, what a great conversation. I encourage anyone, husband or wife, to make sure they have that conversation. Make sure that your spouse, friend, intimate other gets as many wishes that they want each day and not only taking care of themselves, but being able to give away all that they have. Mm. So good. So David, before I let you go, I do want to ask this last question before I get to our rapid wisdom questions. I'm going to ask this last <laughs> question. Who are the people in your life or what are the relationships that matter to you beyond just your wife and your mom and your children? What are some other relationships that help David Meltzer be who we see you as publicly? Well, number one, source, right? Whatever you define it, God, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Joseph Smith. I don't like to define it because I don't like to separate people by any dogmatic religious def definitions. But for me, that source uh, is the relationship that I, that I hold. Um, and then beyond that relationship, beyond my immediate family, uh, then it has to go to my mentors. Uh, because uh, once again, I can't give what I don't have. And uh, one of the greatest blessings in my life is that I've surrounded myself with the spirit of excellence, that I've surrounded myself that people that can feed me. So billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers that have reached their pinnacles of being what they must be. I've been blessed to be around the Kobe Bryants of the world, of the LeBron James of the world, of you know the Tillman Perpetas of the world and the Cameron Diaz of the world that have just understood a mindset and i pick out people in my life these mentors the bob proctors and the jack canfields and the mary morrissey's uh you know the the ones that have passed like napoleon hill and wayne dyer that aren't here with me those are the relationships beyond the most powerful source that mean the most because that is the relationship that allows me to celebrate others it is the relationship that allows me to elevate others. It is the relationship that will help me and assist me to empower others, to empower others to be happy, to change the world with the collective consciousness of happiness, to raise and elevate the vibration of billions of people on earth so that we all can celebrate one another, that we all can elevate one another, we all can empower one another. And that's the most important relationship that I have. Those with source, with my mentors, and of course, with my mom and my wife and my children and family, but almost in that order. Mm, I love it. Thank you so much. Okay, here's some quick redefining wealth rapid wisdom questions. Just tell us the first thing that comes to mind, okay? How do you define success? Kindness. Define wealth in three words or less. 
Objective Energy. Ooh, very good. Okay. What's one book that has helped you redefine wealth for yourself? Think and Grow Rich. And fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is David Meltzer, and the truth about wealth is I am wealth. Yes. Powerful, David, I love it. David, thank you so much for being here. This was fun. You're amazing. Please, let's do this again. Thank you so much for everyone. And please, anyone reach out to me, david at dmelcher.com. I always got five minutes for anyone. Oh, that's awesome. And we'll make sure to add all that to the show notes. Thanks, David. Thank you. That's it for this week on the Redefining Wealth Podcast. I really hope that you had some phenomenal takeaways from this week's episode. Until next week, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever feeling like you have to chase money. Talk to you later.